Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It, and I am with Greg Liederman, who is the founder and CEO of Brand Integrity, and this is a company that is passionate about employee engagement. They are really, I mean, Greg is an expert, and he's taken the whole concept of brand integrity, employee engagement, and he's taken it to a whole nother level. You're going to love what we talk about, because we're going to talk about achieving brand integrity. We're going to talk about how to get your employees engaged and want to deliver it. We're going to talk about company culture. This is going to be an outstanding program today. Greg, by the way, is the author of a recent book that is uh, considered one of the top business books in 2013 by Soundview Executive Book Summaries, one of the uh, top organizations that actually look at and review all business books that are coming out. The book is titled Engaged, and it is about how to outbehave your competition to create customers for life. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chef. Well, we're excited today to talk about lots of different ideas that are going to help our company, help our employee engagement, help create customer amazement, as I like to call it. And we're going to talk about something that I think is really important for the leadership of an organization, and that's about culture. So let's start off by, you know, giving everybody a frame of reference. I gave you a quick little bio here and tell us a little bit about yourself and about your company. Well, I'm, my company I started about 14 and a half years ago. It's called Brand Integrity. It's all based on the premise of you achieve brand integrity when you are who and what you say you are while reaching your business goals, of course. So I spent about half my time managing and running Brand Integrity, which has a series of uh, tools and techniques and offerings for companies on how to help their leaders become more trusted leaders who create the environment for a more engaged work environment. Uh, and uh, I spend about half my time on the professional speaking circuit doing what you do. I go out and I speak on employee engagement, leadership, and the customer experience. Wow. Are you allowed to share with us who some of those clients are? Oh, for sure. We've got uh, a number of different types of clients in retail from we've worked with uh, a Wegmans, uh, Cosmopolitan out in Las Vegas is a client, to manufacturing and distribution companies like Constellation Brands or Chobani, uh, as well as those, those big names that people tend to recognize. There's, uh, for every one of those, there's probably 10 or 15 small to mid-sized companies, typically between 100 employees and 3,500 employees. Uh, today we do business with companies across, the last count was about 25 different industries that count on on our company to help them define what their brand and core values are from a behavioral perspective, and then they use our technology tools and, uh, and techniques for managing to those values, managing to the brand day-to-day. So there's technology involved, not just training and consulting. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, the great majority of our business is based on the, the technology that people are using. And the reality is, if you do it right, you don't need as much training ongoing. You know, training is one of those things you want to do once, and then you want the sustainment of it. So our technology provides the measurement of employee engagement, uh, the measurement of whether you're doing those customer service and work culture type behaviors, uh, and it also facilitates employee recognition in an organization. So you're constantly capturing and sharing those, living the brand moments, as we call them. You call them the moments of magic, right? Those are, right. Those are the, the, the times that 
that you want to capture those learning examples and share those with the workforce, our technology helps facilitate that, whether it's a workforce of, again, 50 or 100 people or or 50 to 100,000 people. Wow. So I'm going to argue with you on one point. You said you want to do training once and then take over with the measurement tool. And I, I argue that training isn't something you can do once. Maybe the big training, but there needs to be ongoing types of training. My, my comment that I love to say is training isn't something you did. It's something you do, constantly reinforcing it. So I'm not going to get into a big debate on it. I understand your angle, but <laughs> I just want to tell you, uh, the, the listeners, you, you hear there's a lot of companies uh, that, that use uh, Greg's services and his company, but two companies that he mentioned, just as I think about the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, which is, you know, a cool, hip, happening hotel in Las Vegas, probably one of the nicest. That, to me, the word is synonymous with luxury. And I think that's really cool. And then you look at Wegmans, who is uh, a grocery store chain up in the Northeast. And when I think about them, I think of, wow, amazing levels of customer service, especially for a grocery store. So right away, you've captured my attention with two rock star level clients that I think add a lot of credibility to what you do. Uh, hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, and, and to your training point here, just so I'm not missing. Oh, good. I was I hoping get, you'd bring that I, back up. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I get where you're coming from. And here's what I mean by that. We get calls constantly from organizations that hire. Uh, we did the risk program. We brought in the Disney program. They bring in these programs that are so heavily training-based. They spend a lot of time and resources defining their brand or their customer service experience. And then they spend an exhaustive amount of time training and teaching people it. But here's the fatal flaw of training, of customer service, leadership development, cultural-type training programs. The fatal flaw is thinking that because we've taught people what to do, they're going to do it. If you don't put the right sustainability metrics behind it, then you have to get into this ongoing cycle of training. That's the part that I'm saying companies don't want. They don't want to keep paying for that. However, you do have to have the curriculum there to be training all the new people that come in. Maybe there's a refresher every now and then. There you but we're go. Talking about soft, we're talking about soft skills for the type of training you and I are talking about. Right. The reality is that, that saying, you know, the soft stuff really is the hard stuff, it's true. But if you create the measurement and you help people build the right habits, which I know is something we're going to touch on today, uh, you've got to create the right habits. And if they're creating habits, that are repeated over and over again, then you don't need to train as much. But you still have to have those upfront programs to get the information out there. Right. So let me put it in perspective because I'm still not quite uh, – I, I get what you're coming from. You're right. You spend all this money to have the Ritz-Carlton course or have Disney come in. And then what happens afterward? It doesn't magically transform a company just to train them, uh, even if it's a week-long training. You know, at the end yep. of it all, there's going to be a small percentage of people that get it. And yep. so, so this yep. is where, by the way, if all you do is one-time training, and I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say you put 100 people through training, probably about 15% of those people will two months or three months later be totally engaged in what you taught them in training. Now, 
What about that other 85% that bothers me? But I want you to recognize as a company, who's, you know, anybody who's listening out there, if you're spending money and 15% of your people make a dramatic change as a result of what you put in front of them and what you paid perhaps to put in front of them in a, some type of training program, that's an exponential payoff long term. Sure, you'd love a Absolutely. higher percentage. But yeah. even, even getting that small group. So let's take it to the next level. You have, a, and, and I'm going to talk about your system because I know a little bit about it. Not as much as I'd like to know, but when we first started talking, it was about doing business together. And I love, uh, you, you just mentioned a little while ago, you know, habit forming. And you're using technology to create habit. You're also using technology to measure. Analytics are important. What you can't uh, measure, you can't manage. So one of the things we do, right on, right on. yeah, and, and you've got that uh, concept of being able to, um, it's an automated system where employees engage by sharing their ideas. Uh, in, in our case with customer service, it's sharing a great service experience on a weekly basis submitted uh, into the system. Uh, the manager of the employee receives that information. They're able to look at it and say, oh, great, they've created a moment of magic, a great customer service experience. Give a little feedback via email and rate it and, and start to use that information to help uh, create best practices for the rest of the company. So I agree, but what we're doing is the sustainability program isn't just measuring, it's actually getting them to engage in something else, which to me is part of training. And, and you know, you, you, hit, you hit the nail right on the head with the concept of sustainability. That's what it's all about. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen some of the different trainings you do. You want to make it interactive. You want people to apply the material right away. I, I just came across, Chap, a really fascinating series of studies that said, there's a, there's a spectrum of retention when it comes to these trainings, right? And so and this will tie into where you're going, I think, with, the, with the, how companies are using our, our technology. But if you just get up and do a stand-up presentation, the studies show that within 30 days, maybe 10% is retained. If you just get up and do a talking head doing a presentation. So if you and I go out and we do a speech, and it's just us talking head, and you're not doing all that engaging stuff that I see you do out there to get, you know, get that interaction going with the audience, they might, if they're interested, 10% retention you can hope for. Right. But that, yeah, I guess training, I was being generous with 15%. Yeah, but, but even so, you make a good point. 15% is still exponentially better than where you were. Right. But if the studies show, the research says, that, look, if you take it to a heavy point of interaction, really heavy, then within 30 days, 60, you should expect about 65% retention. If people are interacting with the material, which is much more difficult to not only design, but also put in front of people. However, if you take it one step further where it's heavy interaction, plus they do something right away with it, they have to apply and practice it within the days ahead, you can expect upwards of 95% or more of the, of the material to be retained. Right, and if that's the sustainability piece of it. And, and it's every, the sustainability right. and the habits. Every time we get in front of a client, one of the, the big questions they have, and whether they don't use the right word or not, and I, the right word to me is sustainability. What are you going to do to keep this going? How do we know that yes. six months from now people are still going to do this? Well, you have a system that forces that. And, and by the way, forces maybe not the best word because people, uh, let's say, you have a, a system that engages employees <laughs> into using it that, that allows for sustainability. It allows to see uh, it, you know, the training come to life. And by the way, as they participate in this 
program that you have, to me, that's just an extension of training. So we're, we're talking about semantics here. We're splitting hairs. So um, agreed, the fatal flaw that most companies make is they put a training program out there and they may spend a lot of money doing it and they think that, okay, we fixed everything. That's just a Band-Aid. You've got to really, you know, if you've got to, if you want to fix it, it's ongoing uh, sustainability. All right, next question well, for that, you. It's, it's, that, it's, it's that piece of the chasm between what we know we should do and what do we actually do. Just because we know the fatal flaw is just because we know what to do doesn't mean we're going to do it. Right. So we'll get it you know, done. I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example because I know you, wanted, you mentioned the habits before. Fascinating, fascinating research study. And, I, and I've seen this one before over the years. I just saw another one just similar to it. It says 10% of people that have bypass or angioplasty surgery, heart surgery, 10% of people will actually make a significant change to their diet and lifestyle afterwards. That's a whopping 10%. What about the a other 90%? I know, even when presented with overwhelming evidence that we should change, we don't most of the time. That's where those habit formation has to come in. You've got to help managers and leaders create habits that make the training stick, that make those living the, living the values, the living the brand program type content. You have to create the habits to make that stick. Well, we're going to talk more about habits, and I had another question, but we're going to wait until the next segment, and that is about what makes an engaged employee. But you're going to have to wait till we come right back. My name's Shep Hyken. We're with Greg Lederman. This is Amazing Business Radio. Stand by. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here, and we are back on Amazing Business Radio. We're with Greg Lederman, who is going to now share with us his concept of an engaged employee. All right, quite simple. Engaged means you're motivated and committed to act in the best interest of your company. Now think about that for a moment. Motivated and committed. Now, immediately, the everyday manager tends to think, well, gosh, i got to motivate my people. The reality is, you as a manager, you as a leader out there, it's not your job to motivate your people. In fact, it's not sustainable to try to motivate them with, with cash or prizes or a carrot and stick type approach. Your job to create more engaged is to create the environment where people can tap into that intrinsic motivation. It's really important for leaders today, Shep, to understand that the concept of intrinsic motivation. That's what drives people. And they have it or they don't. And if they don't, they're not a good fit in most cases for your organization. They've got to get over that thinking that, you know, I'm going to motivate people. Instead, they've got to start thinking as a leader and manager. If I want consistently amazing customer service, I have to create the environment for my people where they will tap into their own motivation and commitment and help deliver that amazing customer experience. So, Greg, if we were to walk down the street and we were to ask people, what do you think motivates employees in a business, what do you think 90% of them would say? (laughs) I know what they're going to say because I've stood up on the stage like you do, and I ask that question all the time. You know, what are the? I always say, what are the top three motivational drivers in the work environment? I tell people there's seven decades of research that all point to the same three things. What do you think they are? And always people shout out 
Money. Money. So, yeah, and, and, money. And I know for a fact, as you do, there are plenty of great companies out there that don't pay as well as others, but for some reason, people line up to work at these companies, and they don't ever want to leave when they work at these companies. And that is because they have a motivated and committed workforce that is being motivated by something other than the outside motivators that most people think. It's not about the bonuses. It's not about the commissions. It's not about the salary. Something else is happening, isn't there? And what is that? Well, as, as Daniel Pink became famous for in his book Drive, saying, look, you got to just take the issue of money off the table and pay people at least the going market wage. And after that, it's all, it's all about the culture and how it makes people feel. So those three drivers I was, I was referring to, there's three themes, if you will, of what creates motivation for people at work. Have some tap that intrinsic motivation. And what in are no they? Particular, in no particular order they are, respect. Show you respect me in the type of work that I do. Two, relationship with my boss. I gotta like my boss. I gotta feel like if my boss is someone I, I, I can trust and I, and, I, and I and actually enjoy being around them. And then third, help me see the relevance and meaning and purpose of my work. We call it the three R's here at Brand Integrity. Respect, relationship, relevance. Those are the three motivational drivers that help people become more motivated and committed, hence more engaged at work. And when you develop the habits for delivering that into your work environment, then you have a more engaged workforce that's going to live your brand more consistently and help you achieve brand integrity, be who and what you say you are. In one of the books I wrote, uh, The Amazement Revolution, I talk about creating an environment that's fun. Now, fun is an acronym. It's not fun, hey, let's have a party and go out and go crazy. No, fun, and I believe this respect, relationship, and, and relevance ties into exactly this. The first letter of fun, F, stands for fulfillment. And I believe that if you can hit these three points, you will have a fulfilled employee that will be engaged and motivated and committed to taking care of the business, the customer, their boss, their colleagues, everyone. By the way, the other two, uh, U and N, stand for uniqueness. Exploit people for the talent that they bring to the table. You, you know, Let them do some of what they're uniquely uh, equipped to do and able to do. And then finally, N is for next. Are we excited? Are the people excited about what's next? Next could be the next project, the next big you know, uh, promotion we're going to have. Or, hey, I'm just excited to come to work the next day, which is probably the best end uh, you can have <laughs> in the, as that goes. And there are some incredible companies that if you go to uh, Glassdoor.com, I think, is that, is that right? Are you familiar with that publication or, or yeah, website? Yeah, I've been there. I, I check them out every now and then when a company calls us. You know, wanting to talk about the, how to get to the pathway to achieving brand integrity, we like to look there and see what their employees are already saying about them. Right. So Glassdoor.com is an opportunity for employees to go on, and basically it's a 360 on the management and the leadership, and that is they get to say, hey, I love working with my CEO, with my president, with my leadership, or Conversely, they may not. And so what's amazing is if you look at, let's look at the different studies that come out. So you've got Glassdoor that's giving us this information, and then you've got other organizations like, you know, uh, the, the best companies to work for. 
Isn't it amazing that sometimes the correlation, and you would expect it, that the best companies to work for would have a high Glassdoor rating, right? Yeah. That makes sense. But how about this? The best companies giving the best customer service also correlate to the Glassdoor ratings of a highly engaged and fulfilled workforce. So it's all about the culture. You it's can, all about the culture. It is. Yeah. And, it's, um, and, it, and you know what? We, we have a saying around here. We like to ride the winning horses. We get calls because, you know, people hear, wow, these guys, more than 60% of their clients are on a best places to work list, either in their industry, their geography, or on the national great place to work list that you re- referenced. Well, you know, I'll jokingly say, you know, yeah, right, it's because of our process that they're on the list. But the reality is, Sure, some of the people get on these different lists because they're able to fill out the applications and highlight all these great programs and initiatives that they've done, and some of them are are ours. But the reality is those companies already have that winning mindset. They're not trying trying to play to tie. They're trying to play to win every day. So we spot them. They're companies that want to be who they say they are. They want to achieve brand integrity. They realize just posting your values up on the wall and not really getting them into the halls, that's not going to work. It's a bunch of lip service. That's all yeah, it is. Yeah, they realize all they realize all the marketing dollars that they're spending on all this branding campaign they did. You know, they, they realize that if they don't get their people to perform it and act it out, they're not achieving brand integrity. They're just marketing their brand. Right, and at it's the end of the marketing. day, the customer is going to define what the brand really is, and if who you want to be known as and known for and your core values yep. and everything else isn't congruent with what the customer's thinking, it doesn't matter. So you, you have to deliver on these. So, you know, you said something that was really powerful there, and, you know, we're talking about leadership. Leadership sets the tone. It's all about the culture. So if you can, regardless of the type of business you're in, if you can create that culture that fulfills your employees through these three R's of respect, relationship uh, with the boss, and I'll add maybe a relationship with your colleagues I think is kind of important that too. too. You know, absolutely. And, and the relevance of how they feel when, you know, and, and uh, how they're respected at work and feel that their work is fulfilling. I think you nail that. You've got your engaged employees, and I think that is a great start to where we want to go. So why, why is it do you think companies struggle with uh, this employee engagement concept? Is it uh, the incongruency between, you know, a message? Is it, and, and I've written about this, sometimes leaders will say, don't do as I say, or don't, no, wait, don't do as I do, do as I say, which sounds like something that my parents used to tell me when I was a little kid, <laughs> right? But, but isn't that what happens? Well, you know, this is where I, where I, where I bring up a few inconvenient truths for people. Okay, so, so it all comes down, as you just alluded to, Chef, it all comes down to leadership. And the reality is we think we're better leaders than we really are. Ninety percent of people think they're, 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 they're in the top 50 percent of, of, of best drivers out there. Like, I mean, it, it, there, there's, it, one of the things I do from the stage that, I, that just gives me a chuckle every time is I say to people, raise your hand. And this is really fun if you have all people from the same company. So if there's 100 people from one company, I say, raise your hand if you're in the top 50% of the most uh, trusted and effective leaders in this company. All the hands, hands go up. You think you go up. Yeah, it's usually about 9 out of 10 at least. And there's actually a study out there that says that 98% of people think they're in the top 50% of the most effective and trusted leaders. Well, not only is that statistically insane, it's also psychologically real. So we tend to think we're better than we really are, 
Yet we have cliches and sayings that we hear, like people don't leave companies, they leave their managers, and there's studies out there that say, you know, one in two employees is not satisfied with their manager or boss, yet the manager or boss tends to think they're doing a much better job. So the inconvenient truth is we're not, we're not as good as we think we are. And I'll bet it's if we uh, had some anonymous surveys, we would find that out rather quickly. And, 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 but then do, then do we have the courage to do those? And most don't. Right. And so I think that's, right. that's an they, issue if there. They would. That's a big if. <laughs> and do you, have, do you have those types of surveys? Do you do that with your clients? Yeah. So what our clients do is they rate, our clients have their employees rate how consistently are certain behaviors happening in their work environment. And then they rate a certain of accountability measures on whether or not my manager talks about our, our brand or our values at our team meeting. Did they take and collaborate with us on our, our most recent employee survey results? So we, do they conduct what we call the one-minute reminder? That's one of the habits that, we, that our clients love is this, this 60 seconds it's in, it's on the agenda at their weekly or daily meeting where they're going to give an example of a success of living the brand. And so that's... It, you know, we get feedback on whether they're doing that. It's enough, it's enough visibility that it just simply helps change the way managers act without having to change those managers all that much. You know, right. So this is, this is big. How they act. We don't want to lose this one. I, I want to emphasize this. You, you, you just call it the one-minute reminder. Is that right? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's one of the top three habits that we've become known for that are – our clients rave about. It's called the one-minute reminder. And this is simply having uh, at a group meeting or a team meeting, the leader gets up and shares an example of when somebody uh, it, it basically uh, delivered on the brand promise or uh, exemplified what brand integrity is all about. And it's just simply a one-minute accolade or, or explain it to yeah, me. I think this is strong. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways that it gets done. What we've learned over the years is almost most managers have some sort of a daily or a weekly or at least a monthly meeting. So you, they pick which meeting they want to feature this at, and they take 60 seconds, and they put it right at the front of the agenda where they're going to share either an example of a living the brand moment that came out of our software system on capturing and sharing successes. But you don't have to have our system to do that. You could have just a quick round of applause for when we've lived our brand. Uh, they'll share, if they don't have one of those, they'll share a piece of customer feedback. They may share a specific behavior or action that's a focus point that they're working on. So there's, we give them four or five different types of, of, of information that, that shows relevance to whether we're living our brand or we're falling short. And it's called the one-minute reminder, and, and people pretty religiously stick to that 60 seconds. Wow. So this is powerful information. It's a great practice to have. Uh, and, and you can learn more about this in your book, Engaged. I think you, uh, and I read through this, you talk about that. Yeah, we give the whole recipe away. We also, we also give the whole recipe for the survey that our clients do. So I can, I can share with you, you know, a conversation from this morning where one of our account execs says, holy cow, the, this XYZ region and this bank's Engage scores are up 78% in one year, so I had to call and find out why. So Sarah calls, as the account exec calls the company, asks to speak to the leader of that region. Sure enough, what do you think it was? The one thing, she said, what's the one thing if you had to tell us why your Engage scores are up 78%? What do you think it was? They bought your book. No, (laughs) I wish. No, they did the one-minute reminder. They did the one-minute reminder. 
He said, you guys came in and trained us on the habit of the one-minute reminder, and I promised myself after going through that that I would do it every single week. And he went through and built and went through the habit framework that we offer that has him building accountability that every single week he's going to do it. He said, that's it. But he said, here's what's amazing. He said, these habits are contagious. He said, I started doing this habit, and you know what? So did other people. People started bringing their stories to our meetings. Other people started capturing and sharing successes in an informal way just throughout the course of the week. So what's cool about this is capture these successes and take the best of the best and put them into some type of a booklet that you would say, these are the best practices that we at the XYZ company deliver, uh, whether it be to, again, the and I'm thinking from the customer standpoint, but internal customers, external customers, but these habits should become part of an onboarding uh, manual, uh, and I hate that word manual, a book, a booklet but some document that everybody gets to see. This is the cool, this is what we do that's so cool here at this company that makes us work. I love it. And you do. And I, I, I earlier I said you talk about it in the book Engage. Actually, it's written about in the book Engage. You do give away the recipe for success. And I love that you do that because I believe that the more you give, the more people get it. And the more people that get it, they're going to want more. And how they're going to get more, they're going to come back to see you. We are with Greg Lederman, and he is talking about engaged employees. We're having a great time, lots of great ideas. We're going to be right back. This is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back. Shep Hyken here, and we're with Greg Lederman on Amazing Business Radio, and we've been talking about engaged employees. So we've been we we started to get into the leadership, and ultimately, I believe that's that's who's responsible. Who do you think is ultimately responsible for ensuring that employees are engaged? And before you answer, uh, you've kind of alluded to this earlier in the the uh, episode here that. People want to hire motivated employees, and you can hire the most motivated employee in the world, but if they get into an environment that is demotivating, eventually they will lower their level of motivation, if not lose it completely. Or they'll recognize where they are, and knowing that they are a motivated employee, they're going to motivate themselves right over to a different company. Yeah, you're you're spot on with that. I mean... The answer to your question is, yeah, it is, leaders, it is leadership's responsibility to make sure that they're creating the environment where people can become more engaged, live your brand, and achieve brand integrity. It's all connected together. So, you know, but it, it, and, and, you're, and you're spot on. The, if we could, how often do you hear leaders say, gosh, I just wish that so-and-so would act today like they did in their job interview? Well, why don't you give them a reason to do so? Give them an opportunity. You know, create the environment that allows them to do so. You know, there's there's a CEO, uh, his name's John, and he's out in the West Coast. He he runs a healthcare organization. Four years ago, he was introducing me to be a speaker in front of their top 135 managers. And, And he took the stage in the most compelling way I've ever seen. It was literally the greatest introduction that I, that I've ever seen. He, he walks up to the stage. Again, he's new. He's only been on the job for a few months, and so he's maybe only been in front of this group maybe once or twice, if at all. And he gets, to, he gets up to the top of the stage, and he has a 
a waste paper basket in one hand, Shep, and he's got the core values for the company in the other hand. And he starts to read off the core values. Great people, customer service excellence, open communication. And, and for each of these values, he, he gave somewhat of an esoteric high-level description. That's pretty typical that you see in most organizations. But, and while this was a healthcare company, you can imagine that these types of values could fit for just about any company, right? Right. So, 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 so John's up there, and he, drop, he sets the waste paper basket down in front of him, he reads these values, and then he drops the values into the garbage can. And there's that makes a, a statement. In the, so yeah, there's literally a gas in, in the room. You could hear a pin drop. And so John says, oh, were, were those important? And then, and then some of the managers speaks up and says, uh, John, th- those are our core values. You know, they're posted everywhere, and, and we have them in every location, and we, we hire people, and we tell them how important they are to our success. And uh, he says, and, and, and you know what? We've had them here for a long time. And I could tell the guy was thinking, like, hey, you're the new guy. You should know we've had those a long time. And, and then John said something interesting. He said, hey, when we walked in here today, how many of you could remember these values? But better yet, how many of you um, could have told me uh, what the core values are and shared examples of how we've lived them? And then, again, more awkward silence followed that as people were sitting there reflecting on the reality that we don't think of our values as something we manage to, something that is important to remember and think about every single day. And then that's when John went into this idea that what you're getting at, which is, hey, folks, it's our job. We're the leaders and managers. We have to create the essential habits for communicating and reinforcing these values every day. And if we do, we'll create the environment where people feel like they're making a difference every day, when they feel respected. We'll earn more trust as leaders when we manage to the values. The key, is, we'll have... right. oh, the, the key is to make sure that everybody knows the values. And, and to your point, when you said, how many of you can recite these values and give me examples for everyone? I've been in a boardroom before, and we sat around the table, and I made a mistake once of asking somebody, can you tell me what the vision and values are for the company? And the gentleman looked at me and said, why are you asking me that in front of everybody? Because he couldn't recite them. And, and I don't know if reciting then is the key. But continue with your story because I want to tell you, I think I have an answer to this. Well, he went on and he said, he said not only do you not know, do, we, do, do you not confidently know what they are, but, but the most important part is, do you know how to do them? He said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to clearly define these values from a behavioral perspective. And they went through our process shortly after that of defining the top 20 behaviors behind their four or five values that they had. And then he said, then we're going to become masterful at developing this essential habit. I mean, they read our material here. They wanted to develop the essential habit of recognizing and sharing successes. He said, every one of you is going to be asked to capture and share one success a month. Is that asking a lot? I mean, 135 of you here, one success is all we're asking. So can you take five minutes a month and share a success? Let me tell you, 135 managers started doing this with the recognition system that we put in front of them. And their workforce is about 1,200 people. In three years, Shep, 15,500 and some odd captured successes in the organization. And here's the thing. Those managers didn't even do it once a month. Some of them did, most of them, but not all. But what happens is the habit becomes contagious. 
In a 1,200-person workforce, they captured over 15,000 examples in three short years after that speech. And, after putting that program in. Right. And, and I was waiting for you to tell me that a number of the managers didn't do it once a month. They did it once a week. No, and, they didn't. They didn't because that's how hard it is to create the habit. But even so, remember your point about, hey, even if only 15% of your people retain the training, you're still way better off than you were when we started. So they what happens to the manager? Were, that, I think they were, you know, what happens to that manager? I think they were at about 50%. Yeah, I that, think they were at about, about 50 to 60% of the managers wow. were doing it once a month. But still, that, that these are managers that weren't doing it ever before, and now I think they might be up around 60 or 70%. But, hey, here's the kicker, too. also have to look at the other side of the house. Their net promoter score, that's the customer loyalty index that they use, where they're reaching out regularly to customers to see how, how, whether they'd recommend them as a, as a place to do business with, their score in three years is up over 22%. So now they're looking at, Things like the essential habit of recognizing success. They use our platform to measure how engaged their workforce is. They see those scores, and they can compare that to their customer metrics as well. I think it all, uh, once again, it goes back to that measurement. So what I want to know is why, there, even if it's at 60%, that means 40% of managers aren't doing this. Look at the exponential success that we've had by creating these habits in the 60%. And I, as a leader, would say, this is not an option. This is mandatory. If you're not yeah. willing to play the game, then we're going to find Good someone point. else that will. Those are tough decisions. CEOs and leadership of companies have to make tough decisions. And it's crucial. Yep. If you let, and I'm not saying one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, but potentially it can happen. And, and here's the way I look at it. If, not, if you had 100 managers in there and 99 of them were doing it right, but one was doing it wrong, and I happen to be the employee, and I may be a great employee. I may be the best employee that you ever have had, but if I end up working for this manager, the one that's not along for the ride, I may be, as I earlier said, uh, I may be motivating myself right into another company because I don't like who I work with. And that goes to your second R, which is the relationship with my boss. So the boss has to reflect the values and has to reflect and, and deliver the habit. And, and it shouldn't be an option. It should be mandatory. You want to talk about how to, how to make a habit? How to make? Let's talk about it. I love it. I you know, and I think I know because I've got some really good habits. But maybe you're going to make it better for me. Well, let me tell you the process. We did a ton of research and development over the years here on what works for making habits in the work environment. And frankly, it's the process I'm going to take you through works for any type of a habit. If you want to stop drinking, or you want to eat healthier, or exercise more, or whatever types of positive habits you want to make, this works. It's designed, though, for habits such as recognizing and sharing more success, sharing customer feedback, uh, communicating on employee survey results, holding important yet necessary conversations when, when necessary, the types of behavioral things you want your managers doing more of. All right, so want me to take you through the steps? There's All right, I'm ready. I'm, I've got a pen I'm in my hand, and I hope the people listening do as well, unless you're driving in a car. Don't, no, I'm not driving in the car. No, no, not Sports you. I'm talking about the people listening. No. If you're driving a car, uh, you can you can actually replay this episode on Play It. That's Play.it, which is part of the CBS Digital Network. So go back if you're driving a car and 
and listen to this whole program because there's some great ideas. But give us the habit, uh, the four, right, so the there's, four there's keys. Four steps. Four, four steps. steps to creating a habit. You cannot skip any step. Okay. okay. If you skip a step, I'll tell you right now, there's very predictable consequences. Right, like the it won't become step. a habit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the first step is you have to figure out what you have to change your mind about. Right, so every habit starts with changing your mind about something. So, for instance, let's stick with the one that John, the CEO of the healthcare company, was hitting on, recognizing and sharing successes. Maybe you need to change your mind about the level of importance for that. Maybe you have to change your mind about how much that does um, infuse the, the relevance and the respect and the relationship in the, uh, in the workplace. But there's something you must change your mind about. Otherwise, you probably would have already been doing it. Once you've got the right mindset, step two, you have to create a routine. You have to have a routine because the routine triggers the behavior. So for me, I want to recognize at least one success every week here at Brand Integrity. I schedule it in the morning on Fridays at 7.30. It's always on my calendar. If I get to it before then, I'll still stop and maybe do a second one or at least I know I've done my five minutes to capture and share one success with our team here at Brand Integrity. You have to put some sort of a routine in place. So now you've changed your mind in step one. Step two, you have to create the routine. Then in step three, you've got to create the willpower. And willpower is an interesting thing, Shep. Willpower is something we only get so much of every day. I mean, for me, I eat healthy all day, and then I run out of willpower, and I tear the kitchen apart at night, right, because I've run out of willpower. I resemble that remark. (laughs) Right, we run out of willpower. So you have to think negatively for a bit. You have to think about where am I going to fail? Um, I might not do my recognition of, of others because my boss isn't doing it. Or I think I'm too busy. I've got this raging river of responsibilities that's constantly got my to-do list you know, in front of me, and it's just, it's, it's just not, I just forget. That's where I'm going to screw it up, and I'm going to run out of willpower. I'm just going to forget. So you have to plan for where you're going to go wrong and then figure out, you know, go off course, and then you put the plan in place to stay on course. So you you got to think through where is the willpower, the focus, and the energy going to come from. And then lastly, in step four, you have to, what we call, feed the habit. You have to feed it. You have to feed it by thinking about the results. You have to take the time to think about the personal benefits. When I recognize people, it feels good. I'm, I feel like I'm being a better manager when I do that. But you also have to think about and feed the business results. It improves alignment and engagement in my workforce when I do this. It helps people stay focused on the customer experience. It improves our customer loyalty scores. It helps us improve our engagement scores. You have to think about the benefits in order to encourage yourself. It's almost like building a business case for it so wow. that you reinforce the impact, and then you see the small wins as you go along, and then you can start to stick to your routine. In the routine, you'll know it's a habit, when it becomes easy, when it becomes second nature. That's what habits are. They're simple and easy, but they take a lot of energy and focus at first. Well, these four steps are basic, and they're very simple, and they're very easy. Four steps to follow. I hope you wrote them down. This is Shep Hyken. We are with Greg Lederman, the author of Engaged and the guy that runs Brand Integrity, the founder and CEO. We're going to be right back. This is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here, and we are back with Greg Lederman on Amazing Business Radio, and we've been talking about, oh, culture. We've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about brand integrity. You must live what you're about. You must live your core values. Otherwise, there is no way the customer is going to experience them. It's, it's just lip service. It's incongruent. We just talked about the four steps to achieving a great habit. One of the best habits is that one-minute habit, that one-minute reminder. And so we're going to go back to uh, talking now about leadership. And and as I looked through Greg's book, Engage, which I highly recommend, you can go on Amazon.com and and just type in Engaged by Greg Lederman, and that's G-R-E-G-G, three G's in a simple word like Greg. And uh, Lederman is just L-E-D as in David, E-R-M-A-N. And and at first, you know, I thought, oh, that looks like Letterman. And he's got cousins that use Letterman. But we don't want to confuse Greg with David Letterman, (laughs) who, (laughs) great guy. Not as entertaining. Not as entertaining. I think you're extremely entertaining. I would would (laughs) venture to say that, you know, David Letterman may be a very entertaining man on late night TV, but he cannot talk about the four steps to a habit. Like you did. I don't know how much that would drive ratings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get back to leadership. You have a concept in your book and, and what you've talked about called a trusted leader. Yeah, so trusted leader. And, 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 you know, I like to get really technical when we create things around here to try to complicate it. So what we did is we looked up the definition of trusted in the, def- in, in the, in the Webster's Dictionary, and it said to rely upon, place confidence in something or someone, and then we looked up leader and said, okay, what's the definition of a leader? It's a person who guides and inspires others. So what's a trusted leader? Someone who's relied upon to guide and inspire others. And think about it. That's what leaders do, right? Right. They guide and inspire others. Exactly. So exactly. But then that's there's, pretty there's some easy. Challenges. It, it, yeah, it's, some, we talked earlier about the few inconvenient truths, Chef, and one of them was in, in the earlier session we said they're, they're – people are not as good as they think at being a leader, right? I mean, it's, if we think we're already super good at being a leader and we've made it to the top and we don't have room to improve, like we've mastered leadership, then we tend to not focus as much on really being aware of, am I doing a good job being a leader? Am I not doing a good job? So the best leaders, I mean, it sounds so easy. Gosh, I can be a trusted leader. Yeah, I, I embody all of those definitions. Well, you think you do. The question is, are you acting them out? Do people see you actually delivering them? Do they look at you as a role model for that definition of a trusted leader? And a lot of people don't take the time to really reflect on it. It's amazing. And then the ones that do, we see how they build these habits, and they become much more trusted leaders. Trust is something you must earn. You know, It's not awarded to you. You've got to earn that trust based on how you think, how you speak, and how you act. And, and here's the kicker. I was, as I was saying, many leaders are not as good as they think. Well, here's people wonder, well, why, why, do, they, why do 98% of people think they're in the top 50% of the most trusted and effective leaders? The answer to that question is my inconvenient truth of delusional people are happier. People are delusional. 
And, and there's actual research that says it's okay to be a little delusional because delusional people are actually just a little bit happier. When we wear those rose-colored glasses, they, they call it the superiority bias or the overconfidence effect. People have a little bit of delusion in them, and they think they're a little bit better than they are. But you know who's not delusional? The people who are most realistic about their skill level are people who are clinically depressed. So no thank you on that one. I'll take a little delusion, and maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Well, you know what? I'll take that, too, because I'm a very optimistic guy. I see, you know, the the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass, it may be, but it's plenty green right here, and I'm a happy dude being where I am. Uh, but I like this. Uh, it's... Uh, you've simplified it. You've made it easy. But I'm going to ask you a question. I mean, there has to be uh, some suggestion that you have on how I can, you know, it's not something you want people to just say, I think I can trust them. You actually want them to trust them. So what are, I mean, I, I recognize the habits. By the way, trust, you mentioned, it's something you earn. People like, and it's, this is the old expression, people like doing business with people they know, like, and trust, right? Trust. So yeah, the trust is the hard part. So I believe trust, and if you want it to be positive trust, that's one thing, but you can trust that this person will never get the job done, that you can trust that the person will always be late. So I believe that a big part of trust is consistency, but it's got to be consistency in the right area and on the right side of where you want things to be. So how do you create that trust? Well, for one, you got I, I start by thinking about what gets in the way of it. One of my other inconvenient truths, there's five of them, one of the other ones is stress is the enemy of being a trusted leader. Stress and habit formation are completely incompatible. And get, and, and, and get, get this, 75% of people say they have a significant amount of, of stress in their day-to-day -day life. And where do you think that most often comes from? Uh, if you're asking me, I know where it comes up from for me. I mean, I put too much on my plate. Well, I, I tell you, that's definitely one of them, that raging river of responsibility people feel. But the majority of stress, as indicated, comes from my boss. My boss was what stresses me out. Right? And it's not always that just what their expectations are. It's way the managers are acting and interacting. And so if, if there's stress in the work environment, it, it filters all the way down. So if your boss is really stressed out and they're not behaving well, then you're stressed out, you're not behaving well, and it just trickles down and cascades all the way throughout throughout the organization. So people that want to be uh, really consistent at creating the habits based on the framework that you and I just shared, they have to really think about their stress level. So the, the concept of, of too much stress, it's, it's completely incompatible with the ability to form the habit. They've got to really take a hard look. If you want to, you know, be a trusted leader, you really need to think about how stressed out am I at work. And the reality is everybody's stressed these days. We've got too much on our plates and too much going on. It all comes down to how do we prioritize. That's why that changing your mind first step is so critical. You have to think a little bit different. You have to disrupt your mindset a little bit and think differently about what your priorities are. So if I'm the boss... Uh, I, who's stressing me out? And, and if I'm, I'm ca probably causing stress because I'm stressed out, who's stressing me out? You know, that could be a variety of things. I mean, sometimes the, the actual high, at the very top, they tend to be, sometimes they're the least stressed. I mean, it's, 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 it's different for different types of people in different situations. But, you know, 
you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I can't, there's not one thing I can point to, Chef. All I can tell you is that, you know, some of the stress we just bring on ourselves and, and the, uh, the bosses, the bosses uh, that are most stressed out day to day, then it impacts, it impacts how they communicate and what they think about with, with respect to acting in front of their, their, their workforce. Right. I get it. And I think as a boss, we need to manage ourselves better because if we're the boss, if we're the CEO, we're the president, we're the manager of a department, sure, as a manager of a department, we may report to someone else, but that employee that's reporting to me has to feel comfortable, has to feel they can trust me. And if one of the best ways to facilitate that trust and create that environment that, of course, has respect, relationship with the boss, and relevance to the job is to create that, that culture. Uh, I don't want to say a stress-free environment because there's certain stress stressors that are good. Some stressors are motivating. It's, you know, high energy. We're, we're not laid back here. That's okay. But it's a different type of stress, the negative stress that you're talking about. So as exactly. a leader, as a leader, I need to step up and I need to play that part. And, and I know when I go home at nighttime and I'm tired and my wife and, you know, our kids are now in school and have grown up, but it's earlier when I came home and I was tired and I was stressed out, I walked through that door. I didn't go to my couch and lay down and, and relax while my wife and kids were waiting for me to come home, you know, all of a sudden get disappointed. No, at that point, you know, in a sense, I'm a leader. Okay. Now they're not employees or my family. I'm walking in. I'm dad. I got to play the part. And that means I push the stress aside and I make it happen. And that's sometimes what we have to do. Well, I tell you, and, and, and here, here's just a big idea for people to take away, you know, and it's, it's pretty simple, but it's big. The best, most trusted leaders, they're able to balance the focus on performance and humanity. Right? They're, able, they're able to put a balance on that. Like, hey, yeah, you've got to care about results. And we respect leaders that set clear direction and goals, and they, they implement successfully, and they take charge and, and focus on results. But we also respect and we trust the leaders most that do that, and they, they, they play to the humanity side, right? They're even keeled, and they're balanced and consistent. They, they are good listeners. They help you solve problems. They, they focus on small wins and, and, and fuel, fuel the environment with respect based on sharing some of the small wins. They, they give credit to other people and don't just take it all themselves. They, they get the humanistic side of business. Well, bosses, I think that's perfect. The bosses that balance that, they're the ones we trust the most. So they balance. The two things they balance, I want to hear it again. They balance? Performance, which is, you know, envision a scale. On one side, you got performance. It's a, it's a bunch of dollar signs, right? We're, we're driving results. And then on the other side of the scale is humanity, the people. We have to focus on both. Sometimes it gets a little out of kilter, especially when you go through difficult times. When during the Great Recession years ago, it was all about operational efficiency and driving the bottom line. Well, now the, the scale is tipping, and the performance side is way up, and the humanity side is down, and we get a little out of kilter, and trust is completely eroded in the work environment. So it takes, nice balance, right. it takes a balance. Right. It's a balancing act, absolutely. Well, Greg, you have been just full of great information, and I, I love that we have this chance to spend some time together. The book is called Engaged. Greg's company is called Brand Integrity, and if you want to learn more about them, you go to brandintegrity.com. We've had Greg Lederman on the show. It's been a great show. Again, lots of tips. I hope you go back and listen on Play It. 
uh, listen to it several times. You'll pick up something new every time you do. It's been awesome. Greg, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. My pleasure, Chef. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure as well. And I want to remind everybody that this is Amazing Business Radio, and you should always be amazing. Shep Hyken here. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.